Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. I pray that you are all doing well. Alhamdulillah. It is an honor and a privilege to be with you again. Uh, and definitely an honor to, to be able to teach this class. Alhamdulillah. And so with that said, let's be, uh, start with our gift to the Sheikha who, Sheikha Samira Azayid, who is responsible for the text that we are uh, learning from, alhamdulillah. And so with that, Surah Fatiha. And so uh, let's start also. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept uh, that Fatiha on behalf of us on for her, inshallah, on her record, on her hisab. Um, Bismillah, let's start off with the um, translated intention of Imam al-Haddad. Repeat after me, I intend to learn and to teach, to benefit and to be benefited, to remind and to be reminded, to call to the book of Allah and the sunnah of his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to guide and to be guided by sound proof and correct knowledge, to seek the countenance of my Lord, nearness to him and his reward. Ameen, Allahumma ameen. We're also here by the intention to expose ourselves to the mercy of Allah, to expose ourselves to his generosity, to his maghfirah, to his expansion and his elevation. We're here by the intention that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would grant us wisdom and an, uh, an increased understanding of his deen. We're here by the intention that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would elevate us in our rank. And by that, that we would be granted a closeness and a proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that subhanAllah, he would allow us and our entire progeny uh, to, be, to be guided aright and to enter into genital for those in Ayla. Allahumma ameen. So bismillah. I want to start off tonight's class talking about that we are um, going into a next phase of what happens with the Prophet Muhammad and with the believers that are following him. Understanding that each phase that the Prophet goes through, there are immense lessons and wisdoms that are attached to it. And so with this next journey, like we've been discussing, of course, some of the, the cruelty as well as the harshness of the Arabs against the, against the Muslims their level of persecution on, and on multiple levels, everything from verbal to physical assault, um, as well as cutting off marriage, family ties and relationship ties. And so now this, this um, persecution has pursued to a point that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed to the Prophet وسلم, that he should actually migrate to another region that he should migrate to another land. He gives permission specifically actually for Muslims, uh, for Muslims to be able to travel specifically to Abyssinia. Now, the thing about Abyssinia is that this is literally uh, the, the, uh, like a bedrock of so many wonderful changes um, that are actually going to happen in the life uh, of the believers, in the life of, of the Muslims. And in order to prepare them, to propel them forward for what comes next. 
So the first thing is that inside of Abyssinia, which would be considered uh, a portion of, um, which would be considered modern day uh, Ethiopia, as well as a portion in, into the horn of, of Africa, is that subhanAllah, the Prophet Sallallahu it's known that there is a, a well-known righteous king. And this is it's significant considering that the relationship between the Arab Peninsula and Abyssinia is not new, right? That this relationship has something, has been ongoing. We discussed this early on in the earlier part of the Sira because it, we, we talked about how even Abraha, who Abraha uh, was actually a leader that was sent out of Ethiopia at that time to be a leader in Yemen, right? And so, uh, with, you know, of course, just south of, of Mecca, uh, just south of Mecca and Medina. And so, subhanAllah, we, this ongoing relationship, as well as Queen, as we know, Bilqis Saba, uh, she, that she was from this area, this, this region of, of Abyssinia. So that ongoing consistent relationship is something that has been consistent with these two regions for a very long time. It's not a new relationship. And so when the Prophet hears about Asmaha, and Asmaha radiallahu ta'ala anhu is, is, um, is the, the Nagashi, Nagashi being a title, right? The Negus of Abyssinia. And so him, uh, he was known to be not only uh, a good king, but he was also known to be, uh, to, to, to have a, a good heart. He was known to be a person that was trustworthy and that was excellent in, in, excellent in his governance. And so from that, from this place that the Prophet is revealed to him that this, could, this is a place where the Muslims actually could seek refuge, right? This is a place where they could actually go and not only ha, have some like a political asylum, but that also they would be accepted in this land. Now, there are a number of great benefits, and I'm going to, inshallah, just kind of talk generally about the move to Abyssinia and the significance of that, uh, not only for, the, for the, the lives of the Sahaba, but actually for everyone who comes after that, for all the Muslims that come after that. Uh, and so with that being said, is that, you know, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless me to be able to give justice about the significance of traveling to Abyssinia, seeking it as a place of political asylum. That first and foremost, we what we know is that in understanding this relationship meant that it's the first very uh, clear indication in terms of thinking of the Prophet وسلم, having suffered uh, any of the social ills of the heart as it relates to uh, as it relates to the, the this kind of ethn ethnocentrism. And I want to be specific because it's not just a matter of a lot of times we look at the relationship between the Arab Peninsula and Africa as something of racist. But the way that we understand racism in, in, in our modern day context is very different than the way that it was, um, the way that it was dealt with 
or the way that it was even understood inside of the, the during, during the time of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, So in order for us to remain intellectually honest, we have to understand that part of it, uh, even for example, some of the ill treatment that happens with Bilal ibn Rabah and some of the other uh, those who were captured and sold into slavery and brought into and into Arabia, that this was not only an understanding that this was not only racially based, right? That slavery inside of of that context was not something that was that was um, based upon a certain uh, a certain even color, as opposed to uh, this level of ethnocentrism. So a lot of what we hear, even as it relates to Bilal ibn Rabah is a deep sense of it's just about otherness that you're from a you're from another land another place and so with the prophet وسلم, giving the decision uh, that they would actually migrate and seek a level of asylum in this place is huge because it's it's huge in terms of causing the believers who might if any of them might have for a moment uh been smeared with this kind of prejudice, if they have been smeared with that kind of um, negative influence or that negative belief, which we know is present, for example, even in the Muslim community today, sometimes an ethnocentrism exists where we think that people of a certain region are either lesser intelligent or they're less civilized or, or a number of things, a number of labels uh, that are placed upon a certain group of people. And so with the Prophet them. Uh, literally, you know, making this decision for them to go to a place that in many cases was looked at as, as if they were ethnically superior, the Prophet وسلم, is, is sending a huge message that this kind of, that this kind of uh, kibber, this kind of view just has no place in the heart of the believer. And so this, this hijrah, that's being made in understanding hijrah from it means migration to migrate from one state to the next and so understanding that of course migration meaning that there is the movement of one place to the next but also there's the movement away from a certain from sin and that may be sin of the mind sin of the body sin of the soul it, it, a certain type of behavior or thinking or character that would then one would need to move away from that, away from that erroneous idea, that erroneous thinking, that erroneous understanding, that erroneous religious belief or practice in order to move toward Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the thinking and the way of Sayyidina Muhammad alayhi salatu wasalam. And so in understanding that, uh, that this is that the Prophet وسلم, is literally moving, right? Their barometer of faith. He's literally progressing them by saying, now is the time to shed your heart of that of that level of prejudice and ethnocentrism, right? It has no place here. It has no place in the umm of the Prophet. وسلم, but there must, but also understanding there must be an active 
there must be an active practice. There must be something that you actually do to say, I've got to move my mindset away from this. It's not something that's just going to happen, you know, happenstance. It's going to change with suhbah, with the people and the companions that you're around. Sometimes it's going to change with travel, right? Being able to be in a place with a group of people. And so this is literally what happens during the time of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, is that there is a message that's being sent that says, if you once upon a time were looking down upon the people of Abyssinia, where now you're going to seek refuge in them. That if once upon a time, you were looking at the likes of Bilal ibn Rabah or Barakah, who was Um Ayman or Zaid, if you were looking at them with a certain eye of, of, of you know, the, a certain down eye, a certain eye, not just of criticism, but that eye of prejudice, if you were looking down on them with that, now you're going to, now you're going to actually be present and be uh, be present and be a witness to the greatness that they come from, because the the Abyssinian kingdom at that time was no small uh, insignificant place. It was actually known for its level of governance, even into more modern days. That Subhanallah, when we look at majority of Africa, we look at specifically at Ethiopia that this was a place that when it was when they attempted to colonize they kicked them out when the italians came they like gave them they they gave them uh literally a run for their money and so in understanding that that when subhanallah uh the prophet sallallahu is saying now you're going to be a witness to to a level of governance and the level of civilization that the arabian peninsula had not seen at that time for example, that even in terms of the way things were solved inside of Arabia was there was a very tribal system, right? Tribes and clans. And so if someone harmed me or I had a problem with someone, right? I would bring the tribe, the clan, I would bring whoever. And it might be the case that it would be fought out, right? There was literally like a, a, a gang type, uh, you know, this is my territory. This is your territory. I'm from, I'm from the east side. You're from the west side. It was a really kind of gang type type justice that was happening uh, oftentimes inside of the Arabian Peninsula. And so to come into Abyssinia with the system of governance where there is opportunity uh, to address leadership and, the, and address leadership in a way that then there's a court system, right? There's a system of justice. And that system of justice then leads itself towards peace and how to establish a society based upon that so this is this is one thing subhanallah that um becomes huge of course there are huge other aspects also that happen as a result of of this decision of the prophet uh becomes the first time that the prophet is showing that you could have political allies that are people of other faiths if those people right are good people if they have sound if they have sound judgment and good good morals and good behavior and this is a and this is a sound and just and peaceful society then it would be permissible for muslims to actually live in those lands right giving us permission of course to be present in many of the lands that we're living in today that if being in those um if being in those uh situations are actually especially when one is seeking refuge from persecution from their own 
you know, from their own government, from their own situation, that it is it is possible to seek political asylum uh, with those of uh, with those of other faiths if it's a, if it is a just and moral society. And so that was the case with Abyssinia Subhanallah. And then, of course, there's a, another added element on that, and that was about what I'm talking about as it relates to allies having political allies. Um, is that King Asmaha, the Negus of Abyssinia, wasn't just one, and, and you know, we'll talk more about him, is that subhanAllah, he wasn't just someone um, that was just a political leader, right? By Allah's grace and mercy, the Negus actually converts to Islam, and alhamdulillah becomes a Muslim and becomes a very close ally as well as friend of the Prophet وسلم, as a matter of fact, uh, he marries the Prophet, so he's responsible for giving the dowry uh, on behalf of the Prophet وسلم, when he marries his wife, Um Habiba, right? And Um Habiba's husband, after this migration, uh, when they when she was a, she was amongst the first of the of the Muslims to migrate to Abyssinia with her husband, and Subhanallah. Uh, she had a dream about him, uh, and in the dream, she noticed that his face was disfigured, and she didn't want to speak to him, subhanAllah, about the dream because of the negativity uh, that was associated with it. And so, subhanAllah, she later on said to uh, her husband, later on came to her and said that he was actually leaving Islam and converting to Christianity. And subhanAllah, uh, and this uh you know and that he basically you know of course there was there a divorce ensued right and he became an alcoholic uh that he had began drinking alcohol then became an alcoholic and of course their marriage was was null and void subhanallah and so um habiba was actually living inside of abyssinia for quite a while alone as a single mother and later, you know, and, and subhanAllah, uh, living on very, very, very uh, meager means. And the Prophet وسلم, eventually hears about her case. He hears about the case of Um Habiba and uh, actually, you know, sends a proposal of marriage to her through the Negus, right? Through King Asmaha uh, of Abyssinia. And so subhanAllah, this, uh, you know, this proposal comes to her and she is the most excited, right? Of course, she's the, she's so um, enamored, of course, with the, with this invitation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has answered her du'as, has answered her prayers, and, and subhanAllah, that she would, would get married to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and uh, the, the uh, King Nagashi would actually give a, the dowry, considering the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was in Medina, he actually gave the dowry on behalf of the Prophet them. Also, of course, implementing other aspects of fit, other aspects of law uh, that are happening. And so I'm getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. I don't want to go too far, inshallah, uh, into, since we're just in the early days where Allah Azza wa Jal gives permission uh, to the Prophet them to travel. Uh, to, for the, not specifically the Prophet them. actually he himself doesn't migrate into Abyssinia. He actually paves the way for the Muslims, for uh, many of the Muslims who were suffering uh, cruelty and persecution at the hands of the Arabs of the Quraysh at the time, 
he actually, you know, gives them permission to migrate. And one of his, uh, you know, his, his cousin, right, and close companion, uh, Jafar ibn Abi Talib, is amongst them. And it's known that Jafar ibn Abi Talib actually remains inside of Abyssinia for 13 years, right? He, he lives there uh, for 13 years, subhanAllah. And so again, you know, going back to some of the lessons um, that are connected to, to that migration is that the Prophet them, you know, some could have said, well, yes, you know, even though he's giving his, his vote of confidence about this move to Africa, about this move, uh, you know, into this, into this place, because they, well, he never, he himself did, but yet he sent family from his own, from his own, right? There were members of Quraysh from the family of the Prophet who were a part of that uh, migration, subhanAllah. And so this is huge um, in terms of us understanding the level of trust that the Prophet had in this king, but also in this nation, in these people. And so again, uh, it becomes huge because as there's a, the migration towards to, to building a stronger ummah, that there are many things about Abyssinia that are extremely different, right? Than the Meccan, than the than the Meccan society. Number one, of course, as I mentioned, as it relates to ethnocentricity, as it relates to systems of governance, um, that this was an opportunity uh, to be able to learn different systems before they would actually go into Medina and be responsible for implementing it in themselves. It was an opportunity also for great healing uh, in terms of the brotherhood, right? The brother and sisterhood between the believers because it was definitely like, if you were, one, if you were once looking down on people from Abyssinia, now you're gonna seek refuge in them. If you were thinking that they were, if you, were, if you had believed the lies that they were unintelligent, that they were uncivilized, a number of the lies that are told when one is enslaving another or giving oneself giving oneself permission to oppress another people, then there is this, you know, this narrative that is told, well, it's okay because these people are lesser, they're lesser intelligent, right? That they're less civilized, that they are meant to be in servitude to me because I am naturally superior to them in some way. And so the Prophet send them, sending them into Abyssinia was, was literally saying, let me wipe your mind and your heart clean of that idea, right? Of that philosophy, let you be relieved of that so that you may be greater, not, so that you can in that moment begin um, to build stronger bonds with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but also that you may build stronger bonds of, of, of brotherhood and sisterhood that are going to be key in terms of building an Islamic civilization in order to, in order to take these moments, to take these gems and to, in order to build a society inside of Medina, right? Like these are some of the things that are going to have to change. Gender dynamics inside of Abyssinia are very different than gender dynamics inside of Mecca, right? Almost preparing them in, in many ways for a very different gender dynamic, even inside of Medina. Then inside of the Meccan society, Mecca was a, was a place that was, um, it, it, it's basically trade-based. 
and it was a very harsh climate. And so it being a harsh climate and also being trade-based, it was a place where for the most part uh, that men went out on, on business because of also the danger in crime in terms of highway robbery and things like that. And so we this we find this, this is why we find in the case of Khadija, that she would send out Maysara and the Prophet and other men uh, to handle her caravans for her because it was actually considered very dangerous for women to travel in that way and conduct business. And so there was a there's a there's a culture around the 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 geopolitical uh you know the geopolitical climate of Mecca and that the culture around that has to do with there's a um it's a very patriarchal society that men go out and seek and they come back and you know women for the most part stay home and take you know and do cooking and cleaning and responsible for housing and children and, and things in that way but subhanallah inside of uh an understanding that inside of the Ab uh, abyssinia the gender dynamics are very different you find a much more matriarchal inclined society right you find women uh playing a much stronger role as we know that as, as and it's, subhanallah, it's no secret why allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions uh, uh queen makeda or makeda or bilqis right we often call her bilqis who comes out of this region and that she sent right she sent uh to be the leader to be the queen that she is inside of, of yemen right and she's very much respected by her people in both places so women taking on what we would consider the highest level of political leadership is not uncommon right i don't know if you're familiar even right now there's a, a muslim woman subhanallah who is the the leader of tanzania right or some say tanzania but the people there say tanzania that she is there that she is a leader of that and very much respected as uh as that and so women playing uh very strong positions not only in in politics or in a in in the political frame but also in the family it's a much different gender dynamic in many cases the likes of those who are in mecca have never seen and so these are some of the things that the prophet وسلم, is literally uh cleaning out of their heart and preparing them right literally expanding their minds and their understanding of what is possible inside of a society right because why not he could have sent them right to shem he could have sent them north but this would have been a similar dynamic so sending them into abyssinia open the door for so many more possibilities again in terms of understanding everything uh from solidarity you know solidarity with people of other faiths and, and building allyship all the way down to gender relations and how to um to build brotherhood and sisterhood on on true love right on true love and respect for one's humanity and so just thinking about subhanallah again as i will close out um with that about how uh it, it talks about the muslims who migrated in the beginning were 11 men and four women a very small group right initially who opened the way abu hudayfa bin utbah bin rabia 
and his wife Salha, uh, Suhail bin Amr, Azubair bin Awam, Musa'ab bin Umar, Abdurrahman bin Auf, Abu Salma bin Asad, and his wife Um Salma bin Umayyah, sorry, Uthman and Mazun, and their leader Amr al-Rabia, the wife of Layla bin Abi uh, Hasma, Abu Sabra, Abi Ruham, Suhail Bayda, and I'm just calling out their names that we may remember them. Hatib bin Amr, Uthman ibn Affan, and his wife Ruqayya. Right? So understanding Uthman ibn Affan, right? His wife Ruqayya and Ruqayya, radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, with the daughter of the Prophet, وسلم, that she herself went and participated in this migration. Uh, and so, subhanAllah, this is, it, it just plays a huge, huge role. Um, into into changing the the dynamic and the experience of Muslims because even though in that beginning phase as they migrate there is some back and forth over time when things start when people think things are changing there's some back and forth over time so there's some fluidity in in going back and forth that happens in Abyssinia that we will continue to study the Ibnila uh, as we go through the life and and what's happening with the Prophet um, and so uh, with that, that that covers today, which is about the first migrants into Abyssinia and the great, uh, you know, the great purpose of that migration. Um, I would love uh, to have you close us up with a dua, inshallah. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa salatu wa salam ala Sayyidina Habibina Munana Muhammad. Ya Allah, we thank you so much for this opportunity to study the seer of the Prophet We thank you that you expand our intelligence and our capacity by which we're able to extract gems and, and build on our faith, Ya Rabbi, from these lessons. Allah, we ask that you increase us in Iman and in Taqwa and nearness and closeness to you. Allah, make us amongst those that are righteous and that are full of piety. Make us amongst those that you have forgiven, that you have pardoned, and that you have accepted. Allahumma salli ala sayyidina habibina mawlana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam alhamdulillah rabbil alamin Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'lifcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.